Welcome to Feeding the Flock and our expositions through the New Testament book of 2 Thessalonians. We are currently in chapter 3 at verse 1. Hi, I'm Glendal Tony. I'm glad you joined me today for this Bible study. Let's begin reading, why don't we, in verse 1 of chapter 3 of the book of 2 Thessalonians, where Paul writes this. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified, just as it did also with you, and that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord concerning you that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. So we find here in the third chapter, the um, conclusion in in many regards, you might say, uh, after all, the Apostle Paul starts by saying, finally, but uh, you might uh, actually take that with a grain of salt because he's actually putting a marker there uh, as a marker for the uh, rest of the book and not necessarily that he's planning on closing the book yet. And uh, so uh, finally made uh, maybe close to what uh, um, uh, some preachers I know who uh, who use uh, uh, in closing, and then they, they you know that you got another twenty or thirty minutes worth of listening to their sermon, and uh, and yet uh, that's not exactly what's going on, but it uh, sure does remind me sometimes uh, when I read this because we do have an entire chapter yet to go and a third division of the book, as we have uh, said throughout that. These chapter divisions in this book seem to fall uh, into place uh, of a grid, or at least an outline, a a pattern that we see in the in the content of the scriptures themselves, so that uh, they fall very naturally, you might say, into three different headings. The persecution is in chapter one, the prophecy is in chapter two, and the practice is in chapter. Three. So chapter one talks about, uh, in view of the persecution, to wait or in waiting with courage. And then uh, chapter two talks about the prophecy and watching with composure. Uh, and then chapter three is where uh, we are currently, and that is the practice uh, working with commitment. And of course, at the very beginning and the very ending is the salutation and the signature. And we'll get into uh, all of those things in due time. But now in this uh, third chapter, we're going to talk about the confidence that Paul has in them. And um, that's the first uh, five verses. And then the command that he wants to give them, verses 6 through 10. And then uh, verses 11 through 13 is a confrontation in some regards that Paul reserves for the very end of the book uh, in regards to some of their behavior, and he wants to correct that behavior. Verse 14 talks about the consequences of not obeying that command, and then also there is the caution in verse 15, right before uh, the uh, signature at the very end with uh, verse 17 and 18. So that gives you an idea of where we're going and where we have been 
Now, uh, in regards to this particular paragraph, uh, the the um, this has to do with the confidence that Paul has in this congregation, and. Uh, uh, it has to do also, the fact that he has this confidence uh, is based upon the fact of the word of the Lord. And he gives a prayer request here in the first two verses. And then verse three is the faithfulness of the Lord that he has confidence in. And then he has confidence in the Lord himself in verse four and the direction that, uh, that the Lord will give to him and to that congregation in verse five. But so then, in order to get to the actual explanation and the study of the uh, the various phrases and the sentences here. Uh, a, Paul begins by saying, finally, brethren, and uh, that is a marker in his literary style and not necessarily saying that he's he's uh, close to quitting yet. And uh, he, he ca- still calls them brethren that, so that he still considers them a part of the family of God. And that is the basis or the, the assumption that he is making that their profession of faith is real, that it's true, that, that this congregation is made up of believers. Now, there may be others among them, but he, uh, he still calls them brethren. And I think that's uh, uh, very nice for an apostle to call these dear believers, very young believers, by the way, uh, they are just recently a young church uh, that he himself was instrumental in planting there in Thessalonica. And yet he still calls them brethren because he doesn't, uh, he doesn't overlord over them. He, uh, he instead uh, treats them as uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. He says, pray for us. Paul uh, is uh, very keen on the idea of having people pray for him. He needs prayer. He understands prayer. He understands that he is in the benefit of having others pray for him, and so he doesn't hesitate to do so. Uh, In fact, you might say this is an expansion of uh, his request uh, back in his first epistle that he wrote to this same congregation. Uh, just months before, he wrote this. He says uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 25, brethren, pray for us. But he gives no content to that prayer. He gives no request necessarily, except just for the generalized idea that uh, they pray for him. But now in second. Thessalonians, he has some specific things to have them pray for. And I think that's very telling about Paul's own walk with the Lord and that, and and uh, his own affection for these, these people, the people he's led to Christ, but he treats them like equals in this regard. And uh, he doesn't uh, forsake his apostleship necessarily, but he treats them as the same family. And then uh, the, this, is, this is completely consistent with uh, Um, uh, with what we see a pattern in various places. Like for instance, Daniel went to his friends in Daniel chapter two, that uh, he went to them to request uh, that uh, they pray uh, for compassion from the God of heaven. And uh, so his friends prayed for Daniel. Uh, Also, evidently, Peter understood the power of prayer 
in Acts chapter 12, that uh, 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 he understood that the uh, Lord had sent his angel to rescue me from the hand of Herod. I'm not going to read the entire verse, but uh, what's interesting is that Peter goes to the house of Mary. Why does he do that? Uh, he said, because, uh, the Mary, the mother of John, who was called also called Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. Peter knew somehow that there was a group praying in in the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark. And so that's where he went. Why? Because he understood something about the fact that this deliverance from jail, this, this rescue from this prison had to do with their praying for him. And so he doesn't want to ignore that. And so that's similar here with Paul. And what's interesting is that this is characterization of Paul, that Paul uh, uh, not only uh, offers prayers for people, but he he uh, offers requests to people for to pray for him. And uh, what's fascinating is the content or the uh, the desire for these prayers uh, and what what specifically he requests. Like for instance, in Romans chapter 15, verses 30 through 32, I'm not going to read the entire uh, uh, passage there, but uh, what's interesting is he prays, he asked them to pray and uh, to strive together with me in your prayers. And he says that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea. Paul faces uh, persecution almost every place he went, and especially from fellow Jewish people who ha- had not and did not and refused to believe that Jesus is their Messiah and their Savior and their Lord King. And so because they had refused that message, then they uh, they were disobedient to the message of the gospel of their own Messiah, and they persecuted Paul. It was like uh, Paul's role reversal, uh, because uh, before he came to uh, trust Jesus, and before he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, he was a different kind of a person, and he was the one on the persecuting side. So he understood that mentality very well, and yet he knew that uh, he was going to face it, face it almost constantly wherever he went, and almost uh, wherever there was a synagogue, uh, there would be those Jewish people who would who would be his enemies, and they would, uh, would try to run him out of town or, or persecute him some other way, get him arrested. And so he's asking prayer for that. He also, uh, in Romans 15, verses 30 through 32, he, uh, another part of his request there is that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the the saints. So Paul is actually praying for his own accountability to the Jerusalem church and to the elders there. Uh, that is just so fascinating that he he prays that this uh, this would work, that uh, he would it would serve them in a way that they needed to be served, and in a way that they knew um, that he would fulfill uh, the things that uh, they needed, especially according to the truth of the gospel. And he also requires so that I may come to you in joy by the will of God. So Paul is requesting not only that uh, he would meet the needs uh, properly of the church in Jerusalem, but he also prays that he would make his way to Rome and be able to uh, 
to be there uh, and find refreshing rest in your company. So uh, all of these things are a part of Paul's prayer request uh, in various places. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, he, he asked them to pray so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf. Paul wants other, he wants to do ministry in such a fashion that, that uh, when he leaves, people would thank God for that ministry. Thank God for what they received from Paul. He wanted a thankful audience when he was done. And I think it's interesting that that is one of his prayer requests in uh, 2 Corinthians 1, verses 10 through 11. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses uh, 18 through 20, again, I'll not read the entire passage, but I will read the uh, actual uh, request. He says, that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth, Paul wants something to say, and he wants people to pray for what he says. The words of his mouth are very important to him, and he wants prayer about the words of his mouth. And to make known, it says, to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. He wants to preach the gospel with boldness. And here the apostle Paul is requesting prayer for boldness. You would think that he would be the least one who actually needed boldness from what we know about Paul. Paul, and yet he prays or he requests prayer uh, from these fellow believers that they would pray for his boldness. And it, also he goes on in Ephesians 6 to say uh, that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. And again, that's Ephesians 6 verses 18 through 20. In uh, Philippians chapter 1 verses 19 through 20, he says, I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers. So he prayed for, he requested prayer prayer, that is, for uh, for deliverance. And the Philippians were praying for his deliverance, and, and uh, he anticipates that those prayers will be answered. Well, we have more requests of prayer by the Apostle Paul right after we get back from this break. basically examining some of Paul's prayer requests that he has made throughout his career in many regards. And um, uh, the reason why I wanted to touch on this uh, uh, in kind of a complete way, I'm not saying it's exhaustive, but it is a, um, a, a full study of of um, that I developed uh, several years ago. And, and I was just curious, what, what were the things that prompted Paul to pray about and what were the things that he prayed for other people? But also, I was very uh, interested in seeing what Paul requested prayer for and what he asked others to pray for him. And, and uh, so I went through the, uh, uh, the bulk of the New Testament and, and uh, read through. Anytime Paul uh, made a prayer request 
on his own behalf that they would pray for him. I made notes about it, and uh, it's very, very fascinating because you get to see part of the heart of Paul, part of the human side of Paul, and uh, and uh, and also we get to see a part of his spiritual priorities because they are revealed by the things that he feels most important about to pray for and to have prayer for and to have others pray for him. And so uh, we've just finished uh, a passage in Romans and 2 Corinthians and Ephesians and Philippians in the first half of this episode. Now I want to go to a passage in Colossians chapter 4 verses 2 through 4. He talks again, he talks about their own prayer to be devoted to prayer. And um, and to pray with thanksgiving. But he says, uh, he says also uh, in the middle of that passage, praying at the same time for us as well. And uh, what's interesting is here is his request that God will open to us a door for the word. Paul is looking for opportunities to preach the word. And uh, those opportunities come as a result of prayer. And he knows that other people need to be praying for those open doors. And um, I find that uh, very interesting, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ. Earlier, he'd requested a prayer about the mystery of the gospel in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20. Now he's also requesting the mystery of Christ. And uh, that's part of the whole thing, you see. When you preach the gospel of Christ, when you preach the gospel, when you preach about Jesus himself, and uh, it's all still a mystery. Now we have been uh, we have been recipients of the revelation that Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God come to earth. Uh, and uh, he is the Redeemer, the Messiah of Israel. And not only is he the the Redeemer, the Messiah of Israel, but he has went to the cross to pay for our sins. And uh, that is a mystery. It It, it is uh, difficult to understand, number one, but, but it's also something that God has revealed to us, and we would only know it through his re, uh, revelation to us about these truths and about the things that went on invisibly. Um, and uh, so, so anytime we preach Christ, it's a mystery. Anytime we preach the gospel, it's a mystery. But yet, it is through that preaching by which souls are saved. And so Paul understands that dynamics, and he wants prayer for, uh, for himself as he preaches the gospel. And again, uh, in Colossians 2, verses, uh, I'm sorry, Colossians 4, verses 2 through 4, he, uh, his uh, other prayer request is that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. And so Paul is very interested in the way he communicates the gospel. And it may be familiar to us. It was familiar to Paul by the by this time in his career. He had preached the gospel many times, but he, uh, he wanted to constantly be in prayer that he could make it clear. And uh, to me, what that means is he understands that sometimes the message of the gospel itself, that Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God, he is the Messiah, Savior, he took the 
our sins upon his shoulders and paid the penalty for our sins as our substitute, that is a mysterious message, but it needs to be clear. It doesn't need to be compromised. It doesn't need to be watered down. It doesn't necessarily need to be re-explained, except for the fact that we have to stand strong in the gospel and yet communicate it in such a fashion that our audience clearly understands what we're saying. And maybe uh, from time to time, we, we need to clarify because we need, we need them to know what we're not saying. Uh, we're not saying this, and we're not saying that, and we're not saying this other thing. We're saying this. And so uh, it's always important to make it clear. And so Paul understands that, and he wants to be clear in everything he says about Christ and the gospel. Uh, in First Thessalonians, he requested prayer, but he, he uh, and this is something we've already referred to in chapter 5, verse 25, but he gives no specific request except to pray for us. And here is Paul's prayer request in verses uh, 1 and 2 and uh, of, of 2 Thessalonians. In 1 Timothy, he makes a uh, prayer request uh, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. He's, he pray, he asks prayer be made for kings and for all in authority. Now, he's dealing with the Roman government most of the time, and most of the time he's dealing with the local Roman government. He understands that eventually he may have to face Caesar himself uh, in uh, in headquarters in Rome. But in the meantime, most of the, most, uh, of the, uh, the authorities from the civil government had to do with the Roman authorities. Now, he, he dealt with the Jewish authorities uh, in terms of the leaders of the, uh, the synagogues and that kind of thing. But what's interesting is this is the reason for praying for the authorities uh, in the government is so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life. And also, uh, God desires all men to be saved. We are to pray for our leaders to be saved. They should hear a clear understanding of the gospel so that they themselves can make their decision to trust Jesus as their Savior. And, uh, and to come to the knowledge of the truth. We should pray for our ruling authorities uh, that they could come to the knowledge of the truth rather than uh, uh, following lies or deception or rejecting the truth of Christ. In uh, Philemon, Paul gives another request. Philemon verse 22, uh, he says to prepare for me a lodging, for I hoped uh, that through your prayers I may be given to you. So uh, Paul uh, asks Philemon to pray for his own journey to make it there to be reunited with this fellow uh, by the name of Philemon. And uh, if you take uh, Hebrews as uh, being authored by Paul, we're not exactly sure that uh, uh, Paul is the author of Hebrews, but if you do, I, I at least wanted to touch on the fact that, uh, that uh, the author of Hebrews asks prayer, pray for us, uh, and he says, uh, desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things, that's part of the prayer request, is 
con- his, his conduct. And so if this is Paul making this prayer request, he's not only praying for the content of what he has to preach. He's not only uh, 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 asking people to pray for the deliverance of the message in such a clear fashion they understand exactly what's at stake, but also that his conduct is honorable. Paul wants other people to pray for his actions so that they represent him. That is, if uh, if Hebrews is written by Paul. And uh, he says, I urge you all the more to do this so that I may be restored to you the sooner. And uh, if this is not Paul, it sure is close to expressing many of the things that Paul expresses. And that is, Paul desires fellowship with believers, young believers, other believers, any believers, uh, any local church. Paul desired to be a part of them and to be reunited with them. And he desired that in a great way. And he requested others to pray for him and for his journey. So uh, even if Paul did not write the author, uh, was not the author, that is, of the uh, physically of the uh, book of Hebrews, if that's not true, uh, then at least this author uh, is reflecting a lot of the requests uh, that Paul would have made in his other epistles. And so he, he says here in, uh, in this, Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 3 and verses 1 and 2, that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified. So Paul wants the word of the gospel, the word of the Lord to spread rapidly. He, he, he has a sense of urgency about what he's doing, and he asks prayer requests that it be accomplished in a speedy form. And uh, that can only be through prayer and be glorified. That is, that it will be magnified. It would become a famous message. And uh, in many regards, that may very well be an answer to prayer requests that we sit here today, uh, uh, you know, 2,000 years almost uh, removed from the origination of this message, and yet it is still being proclaimed. That means Jesus is still being famous. His gospel message that he died on the cross for our sins is still being glorified. And it says, just as it also uh, did with you. So uh, Paul was very aware how the gospel impacted the uh, church at Thessalonica, and uh, he knows their uh, their response. It says for, uh, uh, he says about uh, journeying to the next city, he says, for they themselves report about us. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Uh, uh, what kind of res- reception we had with you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God, and to wait for his son from heaven, uh, whom he rescues, uh, res- uh, raised from the dead, that is Jesus. Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. So uh, Paul understood how rapidly the word of the Lord spread and how receptive this this particular congregation was to the word of the Lord because they understood it to be the word of God. And he says uh, also that... uh, that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men. Paul suffered at the hands of Jewish leaders as well as Roman leaders um, in the preaching of the gospel. Wherever he went, he could be as easily dismissed, but also he was arrested. Sometimes he was jailed. Sometimes he was beaten and uh, all sorts of things for the name of Christ. He says, for not all have faith. And and, uh, there are those who will reject Christ. And by rejecting Christ, they will reject the message of Christ, and they will reject the messenger of Christ. 
Christ. And verses uh, three through five, it says, but the Lord is faithful. That's one thing we can count on is the faithfulness of the Lord. Uh, others may not be faithful to us, but he will be, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We can be assured that the Lord will protect us from the evil one. We may have to face First persecution, and it may get rough in terms of our experience. It may not be convenient. It may be painful. It may be tortuous. And yet, uh, we know that the Lord will protect us from the evil one. We do not need to fear uh, the enemy. He says, we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. Paul understood that as they prayed for him, he understood he is praying for them, that, that he has confidence in, not in them per se, but what the Lord is doing in them, that they will be obedient to his words. And then finally, he says, may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. That's Paul's final uh, uh, prayer here. Uh, before he finishes with his signature later on in the chapter. But uh, it's very fascinating that Paul wants them filled with the love of God and he wants them to continue to be steadfast in Christ. And that was Paul's prayer for these dear, this dear uh, congregation of believers, even in this second epistle that he had to write to them uh, because they were so confused and they were uh, so... Uh, 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 easily caught off guard by uh, by false teachers and others who tried to draw them away and tried to lure them with other messages that Paul did not deliver. And yet uh, Paul has confidence they would be delivered from the evil one and that they would find the love of God and the steadfastness that comes from Christ. That was his prayer for them. Father, thank you that when we talk to you, we can have confidence that you understand what we say and that you set in motion the things that, that uh, we request from you. So I pray that your Holy Spirit would make your gospel clear to the hearts of those who need to know that Jesus died for their sins and rose again. And I pray that that message would be clear and understood by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. I hope you enjoyed our presentation today. This is Glendale Tony. Join us again for the next episode of Feeding the Flock. <laughs>